0: We're not creative enough we're not positive enough. It's coming
1: home. It's yes. coming home, It's coming.
0: Football's
1: coming home. We'll go on it's getting
0: back. As I'm getting back. I'm getting it's back. As I'm getting back. It's coming. coming football's coming home. Home.
1: It's coming. Hello and welcome back to a View from the Tunnel podcast, the podcast that brings you news and views from the world of sports and entertainment. This week we are focused on the greatest sporting event there is the FIFA World Cup. We have two very special guests for you to talk all things England, their group games, how far they'll get to, will it be the usual quarterfinal exit. We talk about potential big name group casualties, player of the tournament and even some favourite World Cup memories in there. So stick around and I hope it gets you excited for the greatest show on earth.
2: You know if every day my mind will flash back to
0: 1990. Bobby Robson said we can all be immortal, we will live forever in, in English football. And it all ended in drama and tears on that one night in Turin, the Fourth of July, 1990, the night Gaza cried and football changed forever. Didn't
1: want it to finish, and uh, unfortunately, it did. Still crying in the middle again. I am delighted to welcome two very special guests to the podcast. Uh, the first is Ali Maxwell from Not the Top Twenty Podcast. And Sky Sports, I think we can say now. Ali, how are you? Yeah, that's how the rules work. Uh, I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, uh, good, thank you. And on the phone, uh, we've got Jake Murta, the sports news editor of the Mirror Online. Jake, how are you? Good, thanks you. Yeah, good, thank you. Um, we're focusing on the World Cup. Uh, this is going out with a week to go before the uh, before Russia kick off against Saudi Arabia. I thought we'd just talk and touch on uh, memories of the World Cup's past to uh, play with the heartstrings of the listeners. Um, Jake, have you got any sort of favourite or first memories of, of the best tournament in football?
0: I have. It's um, a bit of a, a strange one, actually, because my, my dad um, is from uh, Ireland, and my mum's from America, and I was born in London, so um, I've kind of got uh, a few countries to support. Well, actually, only one this time because only England are yeah. in it. But, um, and it's back... In 1994, um, and Ireland were playing against Italy, uh, and Ray Houghton scored a screamer, and Ireland beat Italy one 0 in New York. And I just remember jumping around the my bedroom. Um, my dad and my brothers were in, watching, and yeah, it was an incredible uh, night.
1: Nice. Mine's actually also Ireland. Well, my th- sort of first, my first memory was off the field was. Uh, Remember the news of Ronaldo swallowing his tongue in the change room before the um, before the '98 final. Uh, But my sort of favourite memory was uh, growing up in Northern Ireland. The 2002 World Cup, uh, we we got sort of behind the Republic, and uh, Niall Quinn flicking on to Robbie Keane to smash past uh, Oliver Oliver Lam can can. it was a real moment. I remember a similar reaction uh, to yours, Jake. Ali, what about you? What have you got? Yeah, so mine's sort of in between the two, really.
2: France 98, uh, and it's a funny one because it's su- such a strong memory for me, um, but I probably only watched the final. At least all I can remember watching live was the final, but the reason why, and, and I, I probably we we're all quite similar um, in that videos That was how I first sort of consumed football, all these uh, amazing videos that my dad had collected and the France 98, all the goals from video was the one that I just wore absolutely to death the one that lit the fire uh, within me uh, to to, to carry on as a crazed football fan and from Cesar Sampao's header against Scotland in the opening game to Emmanuel Petit's winner uh, in injury time in the final to make it 3-0 I've probably seen every single goal about 10 times so that's sort of my first memories of football as as well as the World Cup. I mean
0: that um, the Robbie King goal that you mentioned Milo I, I also had noted that one, down. I remember being in a pub. And I remember because of the, the time difference in, in Japan and Korea, it was um, about 11 a.m. the game. Mm. I just remember when that goal going in, I mean, Pints of Guinness were flying all over the shop. <laughs> and, um, and, and it proved the difference, actually, because I think they drew the first game of Cameroon um, and then they went on to beat Saudi, the whistle boys, really, in, in that group. Um, so, yeah, it proved the difference. And obviously, they just went out on penalties um to Spain
2: in the next round, and then we had the Roy Keane saga. And we brought up to that. There was an amazing yeah. tweet the other day of the guy who was like, uh, It's the 16 year anniversary of the moment when uh, a lesson was interrupted at my school uh, because my mum had phoned the head teacher to ask them to tell me about the Roy Keane news before someone else told me.
1: Oh, <laughs> me. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I remember that Robbie Keane, he did his usual celebration, but instead of the sort of finger pistols he brought out the, uh, the bow and arrow and sort of nice. fired it at someone in the crowd
0: the comfort for him in this second half forward it goes again by Kinsler Quinn heads on oh surely this time for Keane and Ireland do it Robbie Keane in the second minute of stoppage time has scored the equaliser look at these scenes just look at these scenes You can't say they don't deserve it. This has been a spirited second half before.
1: spreads himself, he comes off his head, but as you said, they deserved it, look at Mick McCarthy there, he's just watching, and the mouth comes open, what a reaction that is, and as you say, they've absolutely delighted everyone in the stadium, apart from the Germans to our left, but they have deserved it, and Robbie Keane, let's hope he doesn't injure himself then, and he gets under a sea of green shirts. What a fantastic finish here in Ibaraki. Um, a great moment. Anyway, England. Now, I thought we'd first start with the squad. People on Twitter, people online, just rip it apart. Uh, for me, the squad is actually pretty good, I think. I don't really see many omissions um, uh, or errors in selection. Um, what do you guys feel about, you know, your Jack Wilshire's tweeting, saying he should have been in the squad? Do you think Gareth Southgate's got it right?
0: I think if you look at it, you can make a case for, for Wilkinson, for, for Lallana, but then he's chosen a lot of players who are pretty versatile. You know? So you've got Ashley Young in there, can play left-back or right-back. He can play on the wing if you want him. Um, midfield, you've got Delft, but he can also play at left-back as well. So with Wilkinson, you can play him in central midfield, really, and that's the only position he could play. Um, with Lallana, I think he would have been in there, if just a question mark was over his fitness, obviously. Mm-hmm. He's just coming back after the injury, so probably come just a bit too soon for him. But apart from that, I don't think there's many players who can have too many complaints. I mean, Joe Hart's an interesting one. Um, you know, if Pickford or Butland was injured, would you be happy with Nick Pope starting in, in goal in a game? Um, maybe not. But then, would Joe Hart being in the squad would that undermine um, Pickford or Butland's spot?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think yeah, you can sort of make that case. I th- Someone did some research into how often third goalkeepers have actually played any World Cup minutes. And obviously it's like, you know, unbelievably rare. But uh, you-, you can make a case for-, for all of those guys. I personally, uh, as an optimist, but also as someone who's sort of a bit sceptical about Southgate when he was appointed, but generally throughout his re- his reign so far, uh most of his decisions the tactical flexibility that he's tried to implement in an england team that's been crying out for it for for forever really um he he sort of just impresses me quietly uh the way that he deals with the press uh, he seems to have a good relationship with the players and of course this is one of the sort of youngest squads in terms of core that that england will have ever had and some would see a lack of experience in there but i see a, a team without the baggage, really, uh, the majority of them of former World Cup defeats and and, uh, and issues. And most importantly for me, a, a core of players who have been playing under Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, Maurizio Pochettino. These are essentially the best coaches in the world. And while it's a shame that England can't boast uh, coaches of that calibre, I think it's a, a massive boon for us. And, and Jake touched on the versatility. That's huge for me. We're going to be playing, we'll touch on it in a sec, some different profiles of teams and you cannot just go into a world cup with with one way of playing and, and hopefully as jake mentioned we have got the versatility to be able to play three at the back four at the back um and and to, to hurt teams in different ways in different games
1: yeah absolutely um i think wilshire was wrong in tweeting and i've my my love for jack wilshire in an england shirt uh, came crashing down as we watched him against slovakia uh, and he could he blasted what 60 minutes he could barely run yeah passed it sideways a couple of times and that was about <laughs> it um, but the the idea behind Wilshire, uh,
2: and I think the, the one real positive is that he in theory can provide a bit of a thrust through the middle you don't get many central midfield players that that take players on and beat players because it's such a disciplined role usually and that is what he can offer but I think you know if Loftus-Cheek Gets a bit of game time. He's the type of player that can that can do that from a central position, and and um, I don't think we will we'll look back and think we missed Wilshire. Although if we go out early, all those excuses will come to the fore, of course. Sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of the players we're talking about. I mean, like Wilshire, he, he wouldn't have been starting anyway. So these yeah. players, they would have been players on the periphery, and may yeah, maybe someone you could turn to if you change the squad or that kind of thing. But he wouldn't have been in the starting eleven in my starting eleven anyway.
1: Sure. Um, onto the games or the group games um, we'll touch very quickly on, on tunisia and panama and then focus a bit more on the Bel- on on belgium on the belgian game um, tunisia and panama have you found uh any players uh any stories that might scare england um i read today uh that uh tunisia's best player and i'm going to get this pronunciation wrong but youssef massakni mm mm-hmm. Is out, and the coach said, uh, "Them playing without him is like Argentina playing without Messi." Uh, so obviously, a huge loss to Tunisia. Um, what have you? What have you found in your research that might scare Gareth Southgate, keep him up at night?
2: Well, I think it's, it's the buzzword for a lot of the the underdogs, if you will. But team spirit and that that real sense of pride and responsibility at at, at representing their nation for the first time in, I think, 12 years at a World Cup. Um, That's what England uh, might lack compared to some of these smaller nations. Spirit is something that I'm sure all England fans would would recognise as being sorely lacking generally over the last two decades or so. But these are two poor teams and England are a good team. Um, Wabi Kazri is probably their next best player. Uh, He's been... uh, Failed at Sunderland, although probably mitigating circumstances with the club in general. Um, He's someone that can score spectacular goals. We saw one or two from him in the Premier League. But generally uh, in both games, you know, Panama really are lacking any sort of star player. Um, in both games, these are teams that will be absolutely biting your hand off for a for a nil all draw. That will be winning free kicks wherever possible and and trying to nick goals. But generally, we'll be hoping for for the draw against England and and to beat each other, so to speak, and try and nick that second spot. But uh, these are games that England obviously should be dominating, and um, you know neither side's got an awful lot going forward, so it'll just be about breaking them down.
0: Yeah, I think both of the countries they're probably pleased just to be there. Um, first and foremost, you know Panama qualified ahead of like, like the United States, who um, should have should have qualified them as a massive upset. They didn't. Um, and Tunisia as well. You look at it, and, and on paper, they shouldn't have a prayer against England. Um, but like it's a national uh, pride they'll, they'll be playing playing at their skins, and England have got to be, be wary. But I think on paper, it should just be a formality for England.
2: Let's not forget that, certainly in the last World Cup, drawing against Costa Rica, albeit in a game where England couldn't have got through, even with a win uh, the World Cup before that, a draw with Algeria in the group stages, among others, in, in 2002. I remember drawing with Sweden uh, and Nigeria as well. So, you know, th- th- there probably will be a draw for England in one of these two games, but but hopefully
1: not. And then the, the third and final game is, is obviously the Belgian game. Um, most likely, well... Hopefully, for England, both and Belgium fans, uh, both teams will be qualified by this stage. Um, it will be playing for first uh, and second in the group, which was obviously incredibly important. Um, this Belgian team has been talked about for tournaments it, last couple of tournaments as you know potential favorites should be should be challenging up, it, through the late latter stages of the tournament, but have failed most times. Um, they're now of age. Uh, your Hazards and your De Bruynes are, you know, 27. They're, they're reaching their prime. Uh, for me, I can't wait to watch them. Um, as a spoiler that, they're in my dream final Nice uh, coming up. But um, England got any chance?
2: I don't think we'll go into the game as favourites, no matter what happens in, in the first two games. I think that it's possible both teams will set up Fairly similarly, we don't know yet where the Southgate will. Um, stick to his guns and go with that sort of three-four-two-one, um, the likes of which Chelsea played last season. Um, but it looks like that is exactly how Belgium will set up. Uh, and you know, Lukaku through the middle with with Hazard and Mertens just behind him. Uh, De Bruyne and, and Dembele in the central midfield, and and Company, Alderweireld and Vertonghen at the back. It's 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 a better team than England's on paper. They'll be more comfortable in possession. They've got more X factor, more players that can beat a man and, and do something special. So of course they'll go in as favourite and, and having played two games where England will have had to have been hugely on the front foot, as I mentioned earlier, it's so important that England have to put together some sort of plan to to counter Belgium. And I mean that literally they, they will need to create on the counter attack. And, and England certainly have the pace to do so. And, you know, creaking limbs with company at the back. Belgium are a, a team with a lot of pace going forward. But I, I have to admit, I don't think we'll go in as favourites, but I don't see why we couldn't. At least cause them problems on the counter attack and hope that they don't plunder us uh, at the back because they they scored an awful lot of goals in qualifying.
0: I think there's um, a lot of pressure on this Belgian team. Actually, I think um, England can go in there and they can go and try and express themselves. If you look at so they potentially send the knockout stages, I don't think it really matters that much whether you come uh, if you win the group, will come second. Um, in my opinion, you know, if you look at I think potentially Colombia, Poland, Senegal, Japan, and. In the knockouts, I mean, I'll, I'll be happy to play any of them. So, with, with that in mind, I mean, hopefully, in the first couple of games, England can pick up a bit of momentum, find uh, some consistency, and then go into that game and, and, and just, you know, try to relax and, and play it. Because, um, yeah, they can get hurt, but they've, they've England have shown, they've, albeit in friendlies and um, a lot of, you know, the likes of Brazil, Brazil and Germany have played weakened teams, but they still managed to grind out results against them.
2: I think what we've got to hope with. For with Belgium from an England's perspective is one thing they've always struggled with, even with this golden generation, is finding the right manager to to put things together on the pitch. And Wilmots was obviously a bit of a disaster in that regard. And Roberto Martinez seems to split opinion really um, with his sort of Premier League career as a manager and national team management's very different, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He's got Thierry Henry next to him as assistant, and and uh, you know there's there's a lot of pressure as as Jake said on on Martinez to perform with this incredible squad.
1: Yeah, I'm sure um I'm I'm sure Southgate like like I am having nightmares of uh, Mertens and Hazard running off Lukaku and uh running at uh Gary Cahill and uh Harry Maguire turning them inside and out. But um as you mentioned, Jake, it doesn't really make a difference uh in the in the following round if we come first or second, because as you say, it's Poland, Colombia, Senegal or Japan. And to be honest, it doesn't really make a difference after that either, because if we finish first in the group and beat one of Poland and Columbus, Senegal Japan, we then play Brazil. Uh, if we finish second in the group, we'll play Germany. So mm. um, you can't really see England getting past the round of 16 again, or the quarterfinals even. Yeah, I think it's quarterfinals
2: for me, so the last eight. But uh, depending on how we get there, the process of getting there, I don't think that, that would necessarily be seen to be a failure. Um, it's all dependent on on the how, um, because I think that seems relatively inevitable that we will or would lose to to both Germany or Brazil.
0: I think that, for me, a lot of the times in qualifying, England generally, because they're they're always the top seed in their group, they normally get pretty straightforward group and there haven't been too many kind of wild cards thrown in there where they could have an upset. It's always been pretty straightforward. They've got a lack, really, of, of playing these top nations in competitive games apart from in in World Cups and and, and finals. So, I mean, the Belgian game would be a good game for them um, to really test themselves. And the game against a side who, on paper, should beat them. Um, So it's good preparation for playing the likes of Brazil or Germany in the quarterfinals. And I think the likelihood is that they will probably bow out to one of those two, but it will be no disgrace, um, providing they put in decent displays in the rest of the games.
1: A bustling defeat to Germany, and they'll return yeah. as heroes. <laughs> <laughs> McManaman again, on to Shearer. Now Barnby. Good football from England. Wise.
0: Redknapp.
2: Goodness me! Have you ever seen anything like that in your life from
1: a goalkeeper? That is quite the most remarkable piece of goalkeeping I have ever seen from the master of the unpredictable. Now, there's always surprise teams. It's one of my favourite. It's one of my favourite sort of features or things about the World Cup is that a smaller nation might sort of come out of nowhere and challenge the big guns. You know, it was Costa Rica at the last World Cup. Um, I've pinpointed a couple who I think uh, might be the Costa Rica this World Cup. I think one's sort of they've got a soft spot for some reason, the other's actually more of a logical um pick. Uh but have you guys seen anyone that might sort of come out of the woodwork in this in this tournament?
2: Yeah, it's kind of hard to, to decide who sort of fits the bill because you go from, you know, the really big teams to the uh maybe the dark horses and then the, the true underdogs like Costa Rica. Um, I am not sure if Uruguay actually qualify for this, but you know you're the arbiter of that. You're, you're giving it to me. Um, I'm going to go with with Uruguay. You can get them at about thirty three to one. So you know they're they by no means in the in and amongst the favourites. And I just think that they have a very experienced coach. Um, they have a clear identity, Uruguayan football. And, and it's not always pretty, but um, that is something that's carried them far in tournaments before. They've got a, quite a nice blend of of experience and and some new up-and-coming players as well, like Betancur, who'll be playing in the centre midfield. Of course, Suarez and Cavani up front, pretty dangerous too. So uh, they, they've got a nice, a fairly straightforward group. So um, I think it, it might come down to Uruguay playing someone like Portugal, maybe in the second round, and I, I, I would, I would kind of fancy them to get through that.
0: Yeah, I mean, apart from Uruguay, I don't think there's many sides who, um, apart from you know, the, the obvious. Brazil and and Germany have got a chance of really winning it. But um, I like the look look of Mexico. They've done well in the qualifying. um, I mean, they they might be able to get to the quarterfinals or something like that. I mean, you might get a side reaching the last eight, but I can't really see anyone reaching the latter stages of the
1: tournament. I float Colombia to you both?
2: Well, I thought we were going to beat Colombia in, uh, in the second round <laughs> without any issues.
1: <laughs> well, I, th- I mean, they performed very well at, in, in Brazil, you know. Um, they lost in the quarters to Brazil 2-1, um, famously James Rodriguez in floods of tears. It was really his tournament. Um, Falcao is back, old man Falcao. Mm. Um, they don't normally play that well together, James and Falcao, but I don't know, I quite, quite fancy them at 40s. It's quite a good good long shot for maybe for a potential bit of uh, bit of money to be won mm. um, I also my other team uh, if you cared was uh, Senegal nice um, just like like something about them <laughs> <laughs> uh, led by Malmé up top just running around causing people uh, causing people issues and uh, I don't know there's always seems to be an African team who really you know they get behind each other and mm. and the passion that they have for football and they're so excited to be there Um I don't know, I just like just like the look of Senegal. Yeah, they got some good players Senegal. And just like surprise teams, there are always some sort of big name casualties uh, in the group stages. Again, this was quite hard to pick. I looked through cuz most of the big teams have avoided each other. Mm. Um Again, have you found anything looking through the groups uh Jake that you might you might know big names that might fall out of the first hurdle?
0: Um you know normally the- there's a group of death or something, you know, but this time there isn't really one. I mean, talking about group D potentially, um, Nigeria, they, they might do all right. Um, but I can't really see many of the, the fancy side not making it through. Um, to be honest, I'm having a look.
2: I sort of stretching here, but I'm of all of them, I would be looking at, um, Portugal, just, they've got a tough group. If they get a beating off Spain and, You know, one of Iran and and Morocco, probably more likely Morocco, who have got some good players as well, could upset them. Uh, And of course, with this Argentina side, you never really know what's going to happen. They've got George Sampaoli in charge, who is capable of basically playing with five attackers and and two defenders and three in midfield. And um, that could be hugely entertaining. Of course, they've got the best player in the world. So I'm not expecting them to go out of the group. But Croatia, Iceland and Nigeria are all going to offer something different. And none of them... Are really whipping boys uh, as long as Iceland can can perform like they did in twenty sixteen. So, if you know if there's an implosion of any team in the group stages, it, it could well be Argentina. I
0: think. I think. Going back to Portugal, I think uh, I think Morocco have got Iran um, in their opening game. I mean, if they were to get a win against them and, and Portugal to lose to Spain, then by the time they they play each other, they really, will really will be a bit of heat on Portugal to get a result against Morocco. So, hmm. yeah, that's not a bad shot. Then maybe. Um,
1: them out, yeah. I chose, um, I went in Argentina's group, but I chose Croatia, um, yeah. because I'm I not sure we can really call them one of the big teams, but uh, their fans seem to cause them a real issue. Uh, we've seen it firsthand, yes. We watched them at the Euros and they were comfortably winning 2-0 um, for a couple of flares to come and a couple of sort of firecrackers to come onto the pitch from the fans behind the goal it seemed to completely rattle mm. um, them against Czech Republic and they, they went on to draw the game 2-2 uh, they're basically a, a, at war
2: with the federation and uh, it's causing a lot of unrest, you, you will have seen some headlines about like Luka Modric being wrapped up in some legal stuff back at home and it's all sort of tied in together so there's definitely some, some pretty bad vibes coming out of Croatia
0: Los dos FIFA vice president, confirming the analysis of the urines gave positive results. The second analysis of the player Diego Maradona of Argentinian team, the Argentina Football Association, has informed this morning with the FIFA World Cup organization committee that Diego Maradona has been ejected
1: from the World Cup. The next thing that I want to focus on is the final. Now, I want us to leave England out of this, leave, sort of leave the emotion out of it. Um, I mean, if you want to include them, you can include them. But um, I would like to know a dream final. What would be your perfect end to this tournament? Uh,
0: I think for me, it'd be Germany versus Brazil. Um the two of the most fancy sides. Um, and I really like to see then really go at it uh, the Brazil especially after what happened you know um, the previous World Cup um, I think there's, there's some uh, revenge to be had from Brazil's side and I think um, that would be a great one to, to end the tournament with
2: yeah, if you go through the sort of predictor, uh, and, and as long as you don't think that there will be any crazy teams in the semi-finals, then you can't really lose. I mean, I had France playing against either Belgium or Brazil in the semis, and, and basically Germany v Spain. So um, Jake mentioned Germany-Brazil there. Can you imagine the, the build-up to that game and the, the tension riding on it? I'm going to go with France and Germany. Um, there's obviously, everyone knows, a huge amount of potential in the French team, and Incredible squad depth and, and huge talent but they're a team who, who have let their nation down in the same way that England have so many times uh, over the last uh, decade 12 or so years and um you know if that was the final it would be Germany looking for two in a row and, and France possibly starting some sort of dynasty so I think that'd be a really a real cracking game
1: yeah I had I think it's possible I had Belgium versus Germany I think they're on opposite sides of the um yeah sides of the draw I just think I would love I've got a, I absolutely love Eden Hazard basically I would love to see him on the on the big stage in front of the world um, you know it might not be good for Chelsea because you know it show, shows off his talent but I think the young or sort of youngish Belgian side versus this very exciting German side as well um, I think that would be a great way to finish it Um we haven't got long left, so I'd like a couple of predictions from you. Um, the first is going to be player of the tournament. Uh, Jake, if you'd like to lead on this one.
0: Um, well, considering I've put Brazil or Germany in the final, it's got to be a player from one of those sides. And I think providing he can get spit and fire in, then, then Neymar, I think they've got a real chance Brazil of um, upsetting Germany, so I'll go for Neymar.
2: I think that this could be the tournament for Mr. Griezmann Uh, to impress. I think that France might be be making their way to the final. Um, And and as a helpful time saver, I think that he might win player of the tournament because I think he is my pick also for the golden boot. So there
1: you go. Nice. Well, I will just touch on the golden boot in a second. I have just highlighted a couple from my dream final. Kevin De Bruyne is sat at 25 to 1 to be player of the tournament. And if Belgium do as well as many people think they will do, that might be a nice little bet. Um, and also Thomas Muller, who seems to score so many goals at the World Cup, um, is sat at 33. And if he goes firing for Germany, then, you, you know, you can't really look past him. Um, on to top to goal scorer. You sort of you've given your you've given your answer, Ali. Um, yeah, anyone just else? One quick
2: one though: it's possible that Belgium might score like ten goals in the group stages alone. So Hazard at fifty to one on pens, probably. Mertens at sixty sixes. I'll certainly be having a
0: look at that.
1: Okay, and Jake, what about you? Where are you putting your money? Yeah,
0: maybe Lukaku. I probably won't get a good
1: value out of it, but it's a pretty safe one. How about eighteen to one for Lukaku, so not too bad at all. Uh, might need to be one anyway. Um, well, I think we are about at time there it's, a, it's a bit of been a whistle stop tour of the World Cup um, thank you very much for both coming on it's been a pleasure it's been my first time having two guests at once and I think it's gone alright so uh, Jake thank you very much for calling in no problem and Ali thank you very much for coming into the studio my absolute pleasure thank you but Beckham's holding his head I think a yellow card is going to be brandished here somewhere and it might be to
0: David Beckham I'll now tell you. Shearer's telling Badastuta not to get involved the two captains there Oh, Brian it could be a red card that's what that's what Alan is
1: worried about what for Beckham yes because he retaliated and it's a yellow card wait a minute he's taking another card out for Beckham it's a red card for David Beckham oh no so that's episode three of the view from the tunnel podcast done uh, you've been listening to me Milo McKean and thanks again to our very special guests Ali Maxwell and Jake Murter. You can find us at, at Mongoose Agency on Twitter and Instagram, and me at Milo McKean on Twitter and Instagram as well. Listen back to a couple of old episodes. Thank you very much. A summer of football that united the nation.
0: The more games we won, the more the country parted, it, it was fantastic. Football was back with a smile on his face. It's a story of triumph over adversity we are going to try and win the work of